Thank you, Brother Robbie. All right. It is exciting about the, the garrison. I was thinking about that. Man, anonymous resources, but God's not anonymous. And, uh, man, I, uh, I love that. So thankful for that. Uh, the Sharps have a new grandbaby, and so they got, they got their baby boy here. And since he's too big to be their baby anymore, they got a grandbaby now. And so thankful for Parker, Parker and then all of that. That's a, that's a blessing. All right, um, so we're, again, we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages tonight. Uh, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 28. So for, um, this is message number eight, and so for eight Wednesday nights, with the exception of a few or a couple of, we've, we've been dealing with this question, why is West Valley a Baptist church? And uh, we preached some philosophical messages and some historical messages, and now we've gotten transitioned into some of the doctrine, and, and we're starting off with the, the acronym BAPTIST, and that is not inspired. I've said this every time since uh, starting this series, that acronym is not inspired, but it's just an easy way. To, it's a tool to kind of highlight some of the umbrella things that we believe are foundational, that we believe are important. And, and these are not exclusive beliefs to churches that identify themselves as Baptist churches. I've said and over and over and over again, I'd be interested to go back and, and see how many times I've made this statement. Baptist does not, for us, does not refer to a denomination in any way, shape, or form. And we are a Baptist church, and I kind of enjoyed the, the, the comical nature of this when we came to the conclusion of this part of it, why are we a Baptist church? Well, here's reason number one. We were started by a Baptist preacher out of a Baptist church. So y'all don't enjoy that as much as you should, but that, that's where you start. But then dealing with the, the doctrinal and philosophical, practical significance of that. And, and I want to say this again. I thank God that he's doing work through a lot of different churches that have different names on their signs. I'm, I thank God for that. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not ashamed of that. But I do want you, you to be aware that being, being the kind of church that we are trying to be, if I can say it that way, is only a good thing. That doesn't mean that we're perfect at all. We're not even close to it. But we're, we're striving to follow Jesus Christ and we are, in the sense that it, it connects us to a specific doctrinal position that was passed down, we're not ashamed of being a Baptist church. There are other churches that perhaps have different names, and yet they would identify with many of these doctrines, and that's fine. But we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, two or three weeks ago, with the reasoning for why we aren't changing our name to accommodate a trend. We're, we're not going to do that either because we don't, we don't have anything to be ashamed of in what we believe. And my concern is not what anybody else is doing. Thank you. My concern is what we are doing. That, that's, and that's the only place that I'm actually given any authority to be uh, concerned about. All right, so tonight we're going to try to cover uh, three letters. So we did the B and the A. And the P, now we're going to get to the T-I-S. I've got, all of a sudden I have the Mickey Mouse song running through my mind. B-A-P-T-I-S. Okay, I need to stop anyway. All right, so 
It, the letter T stands for, according to this acronym, two ordinances. Uh, two ordinances. An ordinance is a law or a ceremony by which we can honor God. Ordinances, according to Scripture, have nothing to do with being saved. It's so important that you remember that. I know you're familiar with that. And we highlight it every time we observe certain things or do certain things. We highlight this aspect of it. But this gets confused in a lot of churches. And, and we're very careful. In fact, um, I, when, it, when it comes to one of these ordinances, when your children call on Christ and, and they are ready and you are ready for them to take a step in, in following the Lord, I'll ask them about a specific one that they're wanting to follow the Lord in. If you, if you don't do this, are you still saved? And depending on the answer of that is going to determine whether or not they're ready to take that next step. And, I, and I'm not ashamed of that because this, this needs to be abundantly clear. You don't need to be taking any steps until you have a grasp on this, that the things that we do because we're saved are not necessary to salvation. We don't do these things to be saved. We do these things because we are saved, and, and they're defined for us by Jesus Christ himself. All right, so in Matthew 28, the first one is that of baptism, Matthew 28. Go in verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, the reason that when I baptize someone, I, I ask them, because I'm not, I'm not baptizing them on my assessment of them. I'm baptizing them according to their own testimony that I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. So who, whatever their name is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, I have. Upon your profession of, upon your profession of faith, my brother or my sister, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, buried with Christ in baptism, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, this has, this, has no, this has no part in salvation. And one of my favorite examples of that, besides the doctrinal statements about salvation, like we read in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, feel free to quote it with me. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. In order for it to be a gift, it must be completely dependent on the one giving it. Or it's no longer a gift. It is then a wage, and then it has to be determined what we have to do in order to earn it. And, and, and look, I understand that this culture and Christianity at different times, people want to have this, well, well I, don't, I don't see the, the fruit in their life. Okay, it's possible that people make false professions, but it all, it's also people, possible that people get saved and then they don't obey Christ all the way that they should. Have you ever not obeyed Christ like you should? And, and so you need to understand salvation, just remember, salvation is not by a work, it's not by baptism. Baptism does not in any, in, in any way solidify your salvation. You are as much saved before you got baptized as you are after you get baptized. It adds nothing to your salvation. It's significant because Jesus said it wasn't because it's the step that he gave us to identify with him and to follow him. But it is completely unnecessary for salvation. And it's the church's responsibility to carry out baptism. Here's an important point. I'll possibly repeat it in a little bit. 
your uncle Dave or whoever it is that loves Jesus doesn't have in themselves the authority to baptize. Because we believe the church was started by Jesus before he ascended back to heaven. Therefore, this command was not given to individuals. It was given to a local church to carry out this command. And so you can, some might reference Philip and how he was sent. Well, he was sent as an evangelist out of a church representing the gospel work, having the authority, therefore, to baptize, all right? The Ethiopian eunuch is another example how that salvation has no part in baptism. In Acts 8, 35 through 38, the Ethiopian eunuch, after Philip preached Christ, said, here's water, what does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you, I'm, what's the word? Paraphrasing. If thou believest that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, thou mayest. Or if thou believest, however he said it. And and the Ethiopian eunuch, by his own testimony, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they went down into the water and were baptized. The second ordinance is in 1 Corinthians. This is where we'll look for this. And you can look into the Gospels as confirmation of this. Second, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Someone made a comment to me. I love hearing the, all the pages in the Bible turning together. Always bring your Bible. You know, like, it's hard for me to find where the books of the Bible are. It's okay. There's no shame in that. Just keep working at it. Man, aren't you thankful for the patch and peewee and for kids and just, they're doing sword drills, and they have the books of the Bible memorized, and, and I know some people will express at different times. I just wish, I, I wish or I, I just, I feel bad because I didn't, I didn't have access to that kind of teaching. That's okay. There's not second class. You're not measured by whether or not you know where Numbers is or Hezekiah is. Thank you. Philemon. Like, it's okay if you have to look in the index, but you don't get better Unless you work at it. Don't be embarrassed about it. Just keep, just keep digging. So 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Jesus going into the upper room and after the preparation was made for the Passover, then he gives them this supper by which to remember the sacrifice that he was about to make. There is absolutely nothing mystical in the elements. Now, he's very particular about the elements. Not because of the mystical nature, but because of who and what they represented. The unleavened bread represents a sinless body. The fruit of the vine represents the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And his body and his blood are, while he was all human, he, there was also a very unique quality in that he was sinless in that he knew he knew no sin there have been people and i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know 
get, get into a fight about this, but I won't, I won't remove this position. I've heard preachers or of people saying that man, the, the blood of Jesus Christ was just like everybody else's blood. No, I, I understand there were human qualities and elements that would have had a similar nature from a scientific perspective, but there was something divine about that blood that made it sufficient in order to atone for our sins. And just because you can't identify it and define it by a microscope doesn't mean that it wasn't unique and useful in an eternal way. And so the bread and the fruit of the vine They are the means by which we remember his death. It doesn't become his body or his blood in any way. That's referred to as transubstantiation. And nor does it contribute to salvation in any way. And there there are different times when people say, man, I just... I just, I really feel like I want, I want to absor- observe the Lord's Supper. Well, that is determined by the authority of the church of which you are a part. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Dave. All right. So notice this, just a couple of technicalities about, and, and I'm, not, I'm not telling you these things expecting that everybody agrees with this. I'm just telling you them because you need to understand how I operate. And what I what I am convinced of, and then, and and understand that it's okay to have differing opinions as long as you you recognize the authority that the Lord has placed here. It says here, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, in verse twenty five, Jesus is being quoted as saying, "This do ye as oft as ye drink it." All right. So here's something I hear, and and it does not bother me at all. I'm used to observing it more, or I wish we observed it more. I've, I've heard both of those things. There are two times a year that we observe it as a church uh, right before Easter and then right before Christmas, right before his death, right before, around the time when we celebrate his birth and acknowledge that. And that's not on purpose. I have, I have seen people's appreciation in, in, in local communities of faith. I have seen people's appreciation for the Lord's Supper diminish because of how frequently and how casually it was observed. And so we intentionally do two things in order to help us to have deep appreciation for that observance and then as a result for the sacrifice of Christ. We don't do it frequently on purpose. And then when we observe it, it is a very serious time. It's not, oh yeah, we're going to tag this on at the end. We devote entire services to that observation because the Lord's sacrifice is worth that kind of effort. And so you can say, well, at this church, they take it, they observe it once every month. Or at this church, they observe it every fifth Sunday. I have zero argument with anybody that does it, that does it more or less than we do. I have zero argument. Because Jesus himself said, as oft as ye. And, and so we, we got to be careful about letting preferences turn into things that we're so passionate about that we make it a right or a wrong thing. And what I ask for is understanding my heart in that and just recognizing that, look, we're just trying to keep this special and intimate and very personal with our Savior. And so that's why we do it the way that we do it. And, and it doesn't mean that people who do it differently is wrong. Our, I am persuaded that the safest way is for it to be members only. I understand that people disagree with that. And again, I'm not going to fight with anybody about that. Can I explain to you why, though? 
Number one, when it was first mentioned, it was given within the context of a church body that they already belonged to. That's number one. Number two, if you go down to uh, verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And, and so here's, here's what can happen. And, and it hasn't happened here that I'm aware of. But here's what can happen is you can have people that are disgruntled within a church because of bad things that they have done and they can decide to attend another church to where their issues are not known. And that can, that can negatively affect the spirit of a church. Side note, this is a reason why we typically don't have people join very quickly. Actually, two reasons. So you can observe us and we can observe you. Is it, you say, are you, are you scoping us out? Not in that sense, no. I mean, we're trying to get your social security number, but other than that, <laughs> no, no. We just want people to know what we are. No, I'm not, I'm not afraid of that. In fact, you don't ever hear me mention church membership from the pulpit, at least not with any frequency. Why? Because I want the Holy Spirit to be involved in that. And your, and your value to the Lord and you being welcome at this church has nothing to do with whether or not you've officially joined this church. The Lord loves you and we love you. And this is a place for you if you so desire to be here. But when it comes to the observance of the Lord's Supper, you go on in this text and the Bible says in verse 29 that he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but look at verse 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. No, there is, there is literally divine levying of physical affliction because people don't take this seriously. So I feel like it's my responsibility as a pastor to just help people be careful with it. So do we check people's ID cards when we observe the Lord's Supper? No. In fact, when we do it at Easter, the lights are so dim. I don't know who's in here. And this is what I say. I send out an email. I make a statement. We believe this is the best way. But then look down at verse number 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Ultimately, it's between you and the Lord what you do. And uh, I, I, I remember when this, not here, not anybody you would ever know until you get to heaven. And if you, the Lord allows you to know who this is when you get to heaven, then you can ask him about it if you care. But I had to deal with a situation one time where someone who was sharing the Lord's Supper, helping to serve it, thought it was their responsibility to decide who got to do it and who got to not. <laughs> I'm like, um, here's, here's the problem with that. The, the Bible doesn't say you can do that. <laughs> well, I think, look, 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 look. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let's, let me give you a hug. What I think doesn't matter, what you think doesn't matter. Just be okay with this. Everybody take a deep breath. You don't get to decide. They decide. Right. Side note, since this is so helpful and y'all are loving this, I'm really careful about when I let my children start observing it. Because there, there's this adolescent curiosity. Oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that. Eh. We need to make sure that you really understand the significance of this and of your Savior dying for you before you just start doing stuff. 
look, again, the, we get so, well, I really want my kids to participate. I really want my kids to appreciate. And if they appreciate, eventually they'll participate the right way. Your kids don't earn spiritual medals because they take it at five versus eight or nine. It, it, it's just, I'm just trying to get you as parents to take responsibility and, and not put unnecessary pressure on yourselves or on your children to jump into things that they don't yet fully appreciate. And honestly, it's good for my children. It has been so good for my children to just sit here and watch everybody else do that. And then the conversations that that facilitates at home because it has nothing to do with salvation. It's just a reminder. This is what Jesus did. And, and so you can say, well, and, and man, last week, or the week, yeah, I think it was last week. It, some, I said, look, don't walk by me and say, I disagree, and then just walk out. And like eight people went by me and like, I disagree, and they just walked by. It's, it's okay if you see this a little differently. It is okay. If you, if you have questions, talk to me about it. But I hope you understand the reasoning for why. All right, number, letter I. So T, two ordinances, I, individual soul liberty. Look at Romans 14. So we dealt with the priesthood of the believer, and that has to do with access to God. Individual soul liberty has to do with the responsibility and the ability to make whatever decision for yourself you deem best. We are, uh, I'll give you some examples of that in a little bit. Romans 14, verse 5. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me of that. Romans 14, verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another man esteemeth every day alike. Okay, you esteem Sunday differently than a lot of people that you hang out with do. Is do. Can I, you, I believe you should. No, look, God gives us six days. It's okay to give him Sunday. No, we need that. Our society benefits from that. And anytime I find a business that shuts things down on Sunday, I'm like, God, keep blessing that business, hallelujah. I don't even know what their motive is. By the, by the way, bad guys don't take Sunday off. Sick people don't take Sunday off. I'm thankful for emergency services and those necessary things to keep communities safe. That's not what I'm talking about. I understand different things come up, but Sunday ought to be different to God's people. Um, it, it, ought to, it ought to matter to you. But notice the end of this phrase. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. <laughs> man, y'all really enjoyed that. Look at 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians four two. But have renounced. In the context of this, this is a reference to something. The context is dealing with the gospel and our witness of it. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's what's the word conscience in the sight of God. Look at, look at Titus 
holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Hey, there are people who reject the gospel that can be convinced to believe the gospel. Now, there's the divine work that's happening, but we get to be involved in that. You can go back to the reference in 2 Corinthians. The next verse says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The point is there is an individual ability and responsibility to make a decision. Go back to Romans. Romans go back to Romans chapter 14, please. We read verse number 5. Look at verse number 12. So then every one of us shall give account of, no, look at it, get there, I'm going to do it again. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every individual has the ability and the responsibility to choose what they will believe and how they will practice or live out what they believe. We oppose any we oppose any and all forms of religious persecution. Neither do we relinquish the right to protect what we believe and how we practice it. Because it's up to an individual to decide what they are going to believe. Now, I love this about how we do these things. I'm, it's, it's my responsibility as a pastor to allow the principles and the commands of the word of God to give direction by the influence of the Holy Spirit and his work in my heart and, and to use that direction and that spiritual insight from the word of God to lay out policies and expectations for how we are going to function as a church. There are zero requirements for someone to attend here. As long as you understand what we're doing and you're not here to cause a disruption, you can sit in any one of these chairs and hear the truth of the word of God and have opportunity to respond to him all day long. Don't think about that. But if you're going to be a leader in this church, you're going to participate in things, there's going to be requirements. And we're not apologetic about those things. We're not apologetic about any of them. And, and some of them would be limited to just when you're performing your responsibility. But some of them would be, would be necessary expectations all of the time. Because people who are involved in leading the work of God and influencing the people of God need to have a good testimony Monday through Saturday. And we're, and we're not sorry for those expectations. No, I thank God for the trustees that we've had, for the trustees that we have, for the trustees that we will have. I'm thankful for that. I thank God for the staff leadership and the different people that the Lord has brought along the way to influence. I'm, I thank God for all of that. But I'm not apologetic to them. When, when you take on responsibilities, there are requirements for how you live your life. Because we represent something bigger, bigger than ourselves. It, it's my responsibility to lay that out. You know what it's not my responsibility to do? make you do anything it's not my job to make you conform to anything when people approach me about joining the church i say i no longer talk to people about that go see brother adam and so no i'm kidding i'm kidding. that was a joke y'all didn't get it i'm still so behind on that i'm sorry brother adam's done a great job of helping to catch up in that i'm still behind on that but I, I make this statement to people, or try to make this statement. Remember this. Just remember. 
And this is why it's important that you've come long enough that you know what you're getting into. And, that, and, and I give every person a chance to ask questions, to, to make sure there's nothing that they are concerned about. You're not joining us, or excuse me, we're not joining you, you're joining us. You're joining us, we're not joining you. And that's the right way it should be. There's no problem with that. You, you, you should join a church because you want to be a part of it, not to transform it. And, that, and you'll have something to add to it. And you'll, you'll bring contributions that can help improve. And, and obviously there are things that need to improve and things that need to change because a church body is made up of people that are sinners. And so, but, but your individual liberty is exercised not in doing whatever you want as a member, but in deciding whether or not you're going to be a member. Does that make sense? It sound, I hope that doesn't sound weird. But when you say, I want to be a part of a family, you recognize that this family functions a certain way. And if it's been good for me, then I want to be a part of it. And if it's not, then I'm going to find a family that will continue to help me. You're the one that gives an account of yourself to God. I don't give an account for anybody. So I, I, just a quick, another quick example. Missions commitment. Every October-ish, we have a missions conference, and then we take a missions commitment. And we pass out cards to people, and, they, and this, is a, this is not your tithe, and not any other financial promises you've made to God. This is separate from all of that. It is, God, I want to be involved in the missions program and you can make a monthly commitment, you can make a weekly commitment to missions, or you can make uh, um, a, an annual commitment to missions. But, but that's between you and God, and this is all we do. We ask people to pray about it. You know what, on those missions cards, you know what there's not a space for? Your name. Because you have to turn it in so that we can get a count and, and have an idea of whether or not we can add any more missionaries. And I'm thankful for this, man. God continued to, to bring it in. You say, is this really a responsible way? I trust God and I trust God's people. And when we submit to God's leadership, God is going to give us everything we need. And so that money is kept in a separate account and is devoted to the purposes of missions, missionaries and other missions projects. And I thank God for the things we get to do with that. But you know what I don't know? You know what the people who helped to count don't know? Who made what commitment? I don't, I don't go around saying like, hey. No, Brother Fiavai was in charge. He might. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Just messing with y'all. Y'all, not him. He's good. No, I, no, there are churches where people take names about that kind of stuff. There are certain positions I'm going to want to know if, there's a, if there is a consistency in giving. Certain positions I'm going to want to know that. And you should be happy that I want to know that. But it's none of my business what you give to the Lord. A lot of times when the offering is going on, again, I understand I'm, I'm a fidgety squirrel on energy drinks sometimes. And like I'm really trying to work on it. And I'm just trying to work on keeping my hands still because they're like doing this all the time and I'm doing stuff I hope with that and it's all over the place. But there, there's something that I do when the offering is going. I try to do this. Every now and then I glance up, but for the most part my head's down. Two reasons. Reason number one is 
I don't want the offering to be a time for us to look around and see what's going on. A beautiful offertory is being played by Miss Jessica or Miss Becca or by somebody else. And that's the time to worship God, both with our gift and then just with identifying ourselves with the song of praise that's being lifted up that somebody worked really hard on. And we ought to be able for a few minutes just to keep our focus on the God that we're honoring with our gift. It's not time to say, like, hey, let's pass a note. Hey, this is funny. Hey, look at the way they're walking up there. I understand cute kids come up here, and you're allowed to mildly chuckle, but can I even encourage you with this? We don't want kids to get so full of themselves that they become the show. We want God to be the focus in that. So enjoy the cuteness, but teach your kids how to participate in a way that is just going to, through their joy and radiance, draw attention to God. And that's been pointed out by Brother Fiava. I love it when he does it. I'm so thankful for the excitement of kids coming up here. So my head's down because I'm really trying to concentrate. Number two, I'm really trying not to pay any attention to who's doing what with that. Why? Because I just don't want you, I just, I just want to think about God. And if I glance up, it's just simply to say, God, thank you for the goodness of your grace in, in and through your people. I'm so thankful for that. It's individual soul liberty. You are, you are going to give an account for the decisions that you make in your life. Well, this is another reason that we reject Calvinism. He is... Look, I... I say this with so much trepidation because I want to be careful about how I talk about God. But if God said, whosoever will may come, and then said, no, you don't get to come, and you don't get to come, and you don't get to come, and you don't get to come, that's not a just God. No, I understand people have problems aligning these two things sometimes, but he can, he can both, he can be both all-knowing and still and in control and still give people the ability to decide whether or not they're going to be saved. God knowing what you will do is not God determining what you will do. Are there hard questions to answer on both positions on that issue, both sides of it? Yeah, absolutely. I have no problem admitting that. But I believe that individual soul liberty means that God has given us the ability to make that decision Based on the, the truth of the word of God. Last, last thing, you need to recognize that I, that I recognize this about your life. That I don't, it's not my job to run around and police what everybody's doing in their life. Man, what does pastor think about this? I don't know, why don't you ask me? And, and if I could just encourage you with this, you should be more concerned with what God thinks about it than with what I think about it. Because the last time I checked, I'm 5'8", in between 170 and 180. I'm going to die, and you are not going to give an account to me. Now, within the function and the life of the church, yeah, you ought to you respect the responsibility and the authority that God has given your pastor. I'm thankful for the spirit that you have in that, and then the leadership that helps in all of that. I thank God for that. But you answer to God for yourself. By the way, last thing on this. Don't blame People in your life that have failed you for failures that you continue to not be willing to correct. I understand life gets hard, and I understand we can make obedience and faithfulness to Christ easy or harder. But at some point, you've got to own how you choose to live your life. Young people, none of you have perfect parents. 
The best of your families are filled with flaws. But some of you are going to permanently handicap yourselves if you don't get over looking at the flaws, whether they are small or significant flaws, of people in your family. And you got to recognize that you have a God in you who can change anything about you if you'll allow him to. I'm sorry things are hard sometimes. It breaks my heart that things are hard for people. But you have the ability from God to make a decision to follow him. And you can. And we, man, man we, we love, ain't nobody telling me what to do. But when it comes time to pay the bill for the things that you have done, we want to blame everybody else. If you say amen to individual soul liberty, you better understand the weight of that and that you have a responsibility before God and the ability, the ability. God has equipped you with the ability. And if you're saved, you have the Holy Ghost of God in you. The same Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead, you can live your life the right way if you so choose. Last thing, yes, saved baptized membership. All right, the term membership is not mentioned in the Bible. Did you know that? Membership. The term members is different ways. Where do we get this from? Acts 2. Almost done, sort of. I don't think I'll be very long on this, but I've thought that before. Acts 2, verse 40, and with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Peter is preaching, confronting them about the gospel. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Notice the next phrase, and the same day there were added unto them. Unto who? Unto the church that existed. They accepted Christ. Now we want to follow Christ, and the first step in following Christ is baptism. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Look, I'm just going to have a party if on Memorial Day we have like 3,000 people get saved. It would be fantastic. But I'm going to have a party if one. I'm going to have a party if we just get to preach the gospel because the word doesn't return void. But can you imagine that? Man, you think it gets crowded in here sometimes. Can you imagine like 120, 200, whatever they were, 3,000, poof. Talk about an administrative nightmare. Nah, that's not a problem. That's the blessing of God. Hallelujah. You want that. And so there were, there were added to them. Well, what was the requirement? That they be saved and scripturally baptized. Okay, so salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, let, let, me, let me mention this. The, the word repentance gets thrown around in all sorts of ways. Uh, the, the, the Bible actually says this, the, that God is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, but that term is misrepresented. You understand that after you get saved, you're going to repent a lot of times. Man, Jaron repented today. Like he's, he's accepted Jesus as a Savior, so thankful for it. You say, well, how do you know? I mean, well, he, he's convicted of his sin, and he called on Jesus to be his Savior. You're like, well, did he understand? I, I mean, I, 
I'm a sinner, and I want Jesus to save me. I think he did. But, man, he's still a pile. And he's just wicked. And, and he did something. And it, literally, he did something. And his mom said, don't do that. And he just looked at her. He was like, yeah. And, and then I started playing I Surrender All. And, 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 and we have an altar built for that purpose. And tied him up like Jacob. And, I mean, Isaac. And it just, he surrendered it all. He, he just, it was, this was pretty awesome. After the, after the invitation that he and I had, um, he, uh, he, told, he was talking to his mom, confessing his sin to her. And she was leaving the room. And, and, he, and she said something to him about, about coming out with her. And he said, I just want to sit in here and think about it a little bit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How about you think about obeying? <laughs> anyway. The, the, the idea of repentance is this. I am turning to Jesus. It's believing in Jesus. There, there is this idea that, that's been levied with that. Like, man, you got to stop sinning. Who in here is saved that hasn't sinned this week? No, I understand your mind needs to change, but here's what your mind needs to change about. Who Jesus is. And when your mind changes about him, then he is going to change your mind about all kinds of things. It doesn't happen all at once, though. Have any of you grown if you've been saved more than 24 hours? You've got to change your mind about a lot of things. So that's salvation, believing in Jesus. But then after that, you get, you get baptized. There's three parts to a scriptural baptism. The proper candidate, someone who is saved. Here's why we reject infant baptism, because they are not saved. I believe, I am convinced of this on the authority of the word of God, that an infant or someone that is born with all sorts of challenges that makes it impossible for them to process information, I believe those people are safe with God. Like my, my, I've told you, I've used my mom and dad as an example. They have a child buried in Louisiana. You say, where is she? She's with Jesus. David said this when his child died. Under the judgment of his sin, by the way, when his child died, I can't, I can't, they can't come to be with me, but I will go to them. He wasn't talking about just dying and going in the dirt. He was talking about the fact that he was going to go. And he was going to be with them. We have a merciful God. I've heard, and I don't, I'm trying to be careful about I don't want to call, well, I do want to call people names, but there are just, there are, there are people that are so foolish, and I've, I've actually heard people try to make the case that babies that die go to hell. That is ridiculous and godless and so inconsistent with the nature of our gracious God. And you think whatever you want, but I, we, I better not ever hear anybody saying that around here. That is not of God in any way. Like, well, that's just because it's personal to you. No, it's because God cares about people. And you say, well, you can't answer everything about that. Right, none of us can answer everything about anything. But we do understand the nature of our God and have enough insight in Scripture that helps us to understand those things. All right, so you you got to be saved. I'm going to be careful to make sure people actually understand salvation. Number two, it's the method. Immersion. It represents his death and burial. All the way under. 
This is not getting baptized, Gretchen. Michael. You, look, if you got baptized before you got saved, you didn't get baptized. You got wet. If you had water thrown on you, you did not get baptized. You say, where do we get that from? We get it from the example of Jesus Christ. He went all the way in, came out. Number three is the proper authority. Okay, Uncle Larry does not have the authority. Granny Darlene doesn't have the authority. It's a church that has the authority. Furthermore, it's a church that has the right doctrinal positions that has the authority. There are many baptisms that we do not accept because we are trying to protect the doctrinal integrity of this church. Um, there, there are Baptist churches whose baptism that we won't accept. Why? Because there are Baptist churches that preach if you're not baptized, you're not saved, or that you can lose your salvation. And that is doctrinal error that we are not. And you say, well, that's not what I think. I get it. But I want you to identify with what we are. And Jesus insisted on being baptized by a specific person because of what he was preaching. The doctrine identifies you or the baptism identifies you with the doctrine. So there's, and, and, and then there's the method. It's who baptized you in that church. Not everybody in a church has the authority to baptize. I mean, I, I love Miss Tina Stevens back there. And she's amazing. She ain't baptizing anybody. <laughs> Is she not spiritual enough? No. God commanded a church to be led by specific people. And those are the ones that need to be doing the baptizing. This, this is for the protection of the church. And, and you can say, well, what does, that, what, does that mean about, what does that mean about every other church? I believe about individual soul liberty. Uh, the, I apply that to individuals and I apply that to churches. I can't help every church. Just want to make sure that this church is on the same page. And for the people that I've asked to be rebaptized, I'm so thankful for the spirit that you've had in that. No, 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 no. We didn't get enough amens on that. There are people that genuinely believed in Christ but got baptized without their knowledge in places that just have weird, weird belief systems. Not their fault. But it, that, that doesn't change my responsibility. And, man, I just, I thank God every time that we've, I've asked people have bought into that. Thank you for doing that to keep the unity of the faith here. Thank you for that. By the way, I'm so proud of Brother Nate. Man, Brother Nate's up here leading the singing one day, and he comes to me in the office like, look, I got baptized because I was told I was saved, but I, didn't, I know that I got saved after I got baptized, and I, I need to get that right. Look, if, if you ever think you need to correct something and we're going to be mad at you or you're just going to lose a bunch of stuff or you're going to be disqualified, no, 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 no. People don't get disqualified for following God. That gets celebrated. It's just, man, I, just, I was so thankful for when he did that, the humility. And he could tell you, I just hugged him. I'm like, well, you always hug people right, but I hugged him harder that time. I'm like, this is, this is awesome. 
Like, it's a hug and a high five moment. And Brother Nate doesn't do a lot of fist bumping, but we did some fist bumping then, man. It's just it's good stuff. All right, as always, if you have any questions, I, I, hope, I hope this is helping you to understand what we are and, and more than just understand what we are, to understand why we are. And, and you know, we're going to finish this series in a couple of weeks, I think. I might add a little more to it. But my, my goal is not in any way, I'm not, we are not going to, build West Valley. The Lord is not going to build West Valley by us tearing everybody else down. That's not, that's not what we do here. And we won't do that. I'm just trying to help us all understand why we are doing what we are doing here. That's it. As always, you are free to disagree. Just consider the truth. If you have questions, please come talk to me. I am not afraid of your questions. You just don't be afraid of asking me or of having an actual conversation about it. And none of this is anything to get mad over. Unless it was something I said you're going to be sent out of here, then you can get mad over that. But I'm not apologizing for that. Okay, I need to be quiet. We got a good night. Okay, let me pray. And then we're going to be dismissed in a different way. Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, thank you for your people. Thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. I, I just pray that you'd help us to honor you Lord, I know there's a lot of different thoughts about this. And over the course of people's different church experiences, there can be a lot of different thoughts about things. And I, God, I'm not claiming to be perfect. I can, I can think of a particular conversation I had with someone time since I've been here where I was discussing something with them, a biblical position or a thought that I had about some scripture. And they came to me and said, listen, I, just, I disagree with that and here's why. And, and they actually convinced me that I had I had seen some things the wrong way and God it was a help so I'm not afraid of the conversation I just pray that you'd help people to have an appreciation for what we are and why we are and that if there are questions that they would approach you and then they would approach even me or anyone else that they need to talk to just to understand that God I'm not I'm not up here thinking negatively, trying hard not to think negatively about anybody else. God, that's not the point of this. I just want this place to be the best that it can for you and to be protected. And God, I need you to do that work. We need you to do that work. But we also need to take responsibility for what we are and why we are those things. So thank you for the spirit that people have been receiving this in. Please continue to bless that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to be having the carpets cleaned.